Have you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Notable Peeps podcast, a series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming true. Now, there's been a little intro at the beginning of these episodes talking about Remnus Audio. And some of you might be thinking, what exactly is that? Well, it's a personalized gift that really will be treasured for generations. And let me tell you why. Have you ever had Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas roll around, and you just don't know what to get your parents or anyone else for that matter? Remnus Audio provides the opportunity for you to give a unique personalized gift. So maybe you're getting your siblings together and you're recording memories of your parents and what you admire about them. Or perhaps it's getting your grandparents to share their advice to their posterity. Or maybe it's a gift to yourself to document your love story, your child's birth story, or the obstacles and trials that you've been able to overcome. The thing that I enjoy most about audio is that you get lost in the story. You stop looking at how the person is dressed or what they look like, and you just focus on the words. With video recording, it's hard to forget that the camera is there staring you down, documenting your every move. But with audio, after a few minutes, you forget the microphones are there, and it's just another conversation. So head on over to Remnus Audio, and I hope I get the opportunity to help preserve your memories. Hey, hey, you're listening to the Notable Peeps Podcast. Hello, my name's Steph, and it's a real treat today. I'm sitting here with Taylor Morris, and he is an Olympic athlete. So he competed in the 2018 Olympics in South Korea and was on the United States Olympic luge team. So hello, Taylor. Hello, thank you for having me. You're the first Olympic athlete, so exciting. Yeah, I'll take that. I'm excited (laughs) about it. So I actually first heard about Taylor and his story. I won on Instagram this uh, mastermind course and I was in the first lesson of it and Taylor was sharing a little bit of his experience and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I want to talk to him. I want to interview him. (laughs) Um, But so let's just back up and go. You talked about when you were younger how you had this desire to be like a certain athlete and that changed what you ate, everything. So do you want to talk a little bit about who, who was that athlete again? It was Michael Johnson. Okay. He was a 200 and 400 meter sprinter and he held world records in both. And those world records only fell to one of the greatest athletes now, Usain Bolt. And those, those records held forever, like almost 20 years. But when I was younger, I saw him run in the Atlanta Olympics and I was so starstruck by him. I just wanted to be him. I wanted to do what he did. And it just really struck a chord with me. And from that day on, I changed my life. I started, I started running, uh, you know, 200 and 400 meters. And I was just a little kid, you know, six years old running like that. That was, that was a lot. But I would ask my mom, you know, would Michael Johnson eat this? And she's like, no. And I was like, all right, well, I'll pass the donuts and the cookies to my little brother. <laughs> and that was unfortunate for him. He got a little bigger at that point, but, um, but okay, he, he reaped the benefits. Year, like what six-year-old is like, okay, like I'm going to go and I'm going to go sprint and I'm going to not have these cookies and candy. and Yeah, it's a weird thing. You wouldn't think that a six-year-old would do that. And I don't know really why I was so inspired, but it just it just struck that chord with me. I was just, I'm going to do this. 
And so everything from that time on was catered around making the Olympics. And I wanted to be a summer Olympic athlete at that point. And I and so be a runner. Yeah, like I wanted to be Michael a runner. Johnson. I wanted to be Michael Johnson. So okay. I was I Michael Johnson 2.0. I kind of realized throughout my years of training for that that I wasn't going to be as fast as I should be to make an Olympic team. And this avenue uh, for the Winter Olympics came through after 2002. We had the Olympics here in Salt Lake, and I went and I watched the Paralympics. Actually, uh, my sister scored some tickets from school, and we went and saw the Paralympics. And we watched biathlon, and that was super inspiring because there was I don't know how to even explain how they do these things. They don't have appendages. Some of them, we had one person who was blind shooting a rifle. And they really? had like radar and sonar going in their ears for how close they were. And like it was only a first lap that they had a rabbit, quote unquote, to follow. And then after that, it was all just signals. And they were just completely blind out there. Doing, I was just so inspired by that. But after 2002, they had a really big push to fill the pipeline of young Olympic athletes. And Fortunate for me, uh, USA Luge had come around in what they call a slider search, where they bring Olympic athletes from the Luge team around in the summertime to different cities to try and find kids with potential to, to do well. And so this happened in Salt Lake, 2002-2003 summer. And, and my, how old were you? I was 11 at the okay, time. Okay, 11. And so my dad's like, hey, I see this ad in the newspaper. You want to go do it? Sure. Sounds like fun. Another avenue to, you know, more doors open at that mm -hmm. point. And so we went to Salt Lake. They blocked off um, this road. It had a hill and they put up some cones and they had the luge sleds that go on ice, but they threw some inline skate wheels on them. So it was just like a street luge. And they taught you how to steer it, how to do it. And they just sent you down the course. And it was just, it was more of a fun activity than really like, I felt like they were recruiting, mm -hmm. but it was, hey, have some fun, come out, and, yeah. you know, put you through some tests and things mm -hmm. like that. And so we did pull-ups, push-ups, a med ball throw, um, a sit and reach where you're trying to go as far past your toes, check your flexibility. But the most important was, were you coachable? Because at a younger age, to be coachable is kind of difficult. You want to do your own thing or you're not understanding what they're saying. But for whatever reason, I, under I understood everything that they were saying. I was like, man, I've got this. And I was just kicking it right mm -hmm. down the mountain. I was going up and down as fast as anybody. And I was just like, this is so much fun. And so they had about 500 kids down in Salt Lake at that point. And it was just a mad rush. It was more of like a party. But yeah, yeah. they picked 50 of us to go to Park City. Ooh. And I was slotted into one of those slots. And so it was a two-week on-ice camp where we were on the Olympic track. And they started us really low. Um, so we weren't going too fast and we did it for two weeks straight. It was just up and down the mountain as many times as we could go. <laughs> and, and so that's kind of where I figured that I, I at least had a chance to be on the team. And after the two weeks, they invited five of us to go to the developmental team. And that developmental team was six days a week for the whole winter. And so I got asked to be on the developmental team. With four or five of my other uh, athlete friends. So is this just after school? Yeah. Well, kind of. <laughs> because we live in the valley. And so getting up to Park City is, you know, 45 uh, minutes. Yeah. And we lived in South Jordan at the time. So mm -hmm. it was roughly an hour to get up there. And so this is where the sacrifice for my family came in for me. My mom worked at the University of Utah uh, Health Medical Area. Mm -hmm. And she she would drive all the way up to work, be at work skip work for a little bit at like one o'clock, come pick me up, bring me to the mouth of the canyon where we had 
you know, the four or five of us, we would, I guess it was more of a carpool mm-hmm. point and she would drop me off there, go to work. And sometimes she'd have to take all the kids up. And so she was driving a ton just back oh, and forth. And so I was missing a little bit of school at that point to pursue this. And after about two, two and a half years, they asked me to come out to Lake Placid, New York, which is where the headquarters are. And that's where if you're going to take this seriously, that's where you've got to train because they have uh, the Olympic Training Center, which has everything you need, the cafeteria, the weight room, the gym, um, housing, things of that nature. And then on the USA Luge side of it, they also have a three ramp with different degrees mimicking tracks all around the world for you to train the start, which is super important for us. So when they asked me out to Lake Placid, of course I said yes, but we didn't have the funding as a family at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I ran flyers around the neighborhoods all around, just sticking them on doors. Hey, anything helps, $5, $10, this, that, and the other. And we raised a significant amount of money. But it still wasn't enough. It was mm-hmm. actually pretty pricey. And my grandpa, uh, Morris, my my dad's dad, he he stepped in and he was like, I'll fund you. Really? I was like, okay, now I've really, like, I'm really sunk in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I've got my grandpa's money in. I put all this time in. My family put all this time in. People in the neighborhood are supporting like, you. Yeah. It was just overwhelming how much support I had. I was like, this has to be done. And what age are you around this time? Uh, 15. 15. Oh, yeah. okay. So, so I was like, 15. So that's a few years in. Yeah. So okay. people knew that I was doing yeah. it. I mean, and you're so young, of course, mm-hmm. people aren't like, dude, he's going to the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. But they knew what kind of a person I was and how driven and focused I that was. But you weren't eating those cookies. Yeah, that you were trying like, to be Michael Johnson. <laughs> I was 100% all in on myself and the community was too. And so, you know, I went out to Lake Placid. I started training with these guys and it's just a whole new ball game at this point. And you know, you've got the best athletes around you. You've got the best coaches. You've got the best um, weightlifting coaches, mm. the best uh, recovery, athletic trainers, things of that nature. And it just brings you to a whole new level. And at 15 years old, I was invited to compete on the World Cup circuit for 18 and under. Oh. And that adds another part of the price. But luckily, at that point, I was fully funded. So... It wasn't as much of a burden By a, on the family. A sponsor besides Grandpa Morris. Yeah, yeah. So it was. I mean, there was multiple. There was a handful of them yeah, that yeah. had pulled in money to put on me, as uh-huh. well as put into USA Luge funding in general. So I had personal sponsors at that time. Plus, USA Luge had a pool of money to send athletes. So we were traveling all over the world: Germany, Austria, Norway, Russia, um, Japan. It was just like a whole whole new world for me obviously i'm like 15 years old just traveling everywhere <laughs> from south jordan utah yeah, and I, you know you have a, a limited amount of supervision and so it's you really learn how to manage your time mm-hmm. on your own it's trial by fire you're learning what to do what not to do the people you want to hang out with and you know i learned a lot i grew up a lot from 15 to 18 traveling and I feel like I learned more than my peers in school at that time. You know, mm-hmm. they were learning book knowledge and we can call it street knowledge, but it's yeah. life life knowledge. Oh, of, yeah. I feel like I grew up in those three years so much more than any other time in my life. Oh, I bet. So. I bet. Okay. So I want to pause this story for just one second. And for those people that don't know what luge is, 
aka me <laughs> exactly <laughs> will you describe what it is because yeah. i i'm picturing it as bobsledding but i know that it's not technically that is it it's pretty much the easiest way to say it is it's like bobsled mm-hmm. but in bobsled they're kind of encased in this really big toboggan mm-hmm. luge is very open it's a smaller sled it's a single sled and it's you know I don't know, maybe six to eight inches off the ground. And it's got these two runners on the bottom that come up like little candy canes. We call them coofins. Mm -hmm. Those are in contact with the ice. And that's what we steer with. And so you're on your back, your feet first, super aerodynamic, super open. (laughs) And it's just you. It's just me. Okay. There is a two, there is a doubles. They call Uh them a double sled. And that sled is very similar. It's a little bit bigger. It's harder Uh to steer. The kind of correlates from like a Ferrari for the singles uh-huh. guys. And then the doubles is like a bus. It takes, uh. <laughs> it takes two to really yeah, put yeah, it down yeah. the mountain. And that's, um, I've tried doubles. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't like trusting somebody yeah. else to get me down the mountain at 85 miles an hour. So no, because that's like, <laughs> you're close to the ice and you're yeah. going fast. Yeah. So. And it's, and it's really easy to flip over on a loose sled. Like in bobsled, it's it's bigger and it's heavier. To flip a bobsled, you uh-huh. kind of have to do some pretty whack stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but with luge, they're they're very agile, and so that's why we're one of the we we are the fastest of the three sports. They're skeleton, which is face first on your belly, uh-huh. and they have a really flat, not super steerable sled. Uh-huh. Luge is very steerable on your back feet first, and then the bobsled has the two man and the four man, and it's just like barreling down the mountain. So with luge, we can really push the g-forces in 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 the corners because we have that ability to steer so if anybody's ever seen bobsled you kind of see them go through this big sweeping corner and they kind of we call it waving but you're moving up and down and Mm -hmm. up and down and it's adding meters to your time and you know things of that nature but with luge you can really cut through those and create a slingshot effect coming out and so i guess that's the easiest way to explain it is it's for those of that haven't even ever seen bobsled Mm -hmm. um it's an artificial track made of concrete. Um, it's artificially frozen through whatever means they have, ammonia or other, you know, I don't even know what to call it. <laughs> <laughs> Way above my pay grade. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's pretty much an iced water slide. I think that's a really good way to explain Yeah, it. that is. So then we just throw ourselves on, on those sleds and there's not a lot of friction. And so we pick up speed very quickly. And so... Yeah, that's that's the adrenaline rush I need in my life. Yeah, no, that that's a good comparison because all I really know about bobsledding is from Cool Running, so right. it's not, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. But I mean, that's fast. You're going down 85 miles yeah. per hour, and so let's go back to this time of your life where you're at this camp. So from 15 to 18, yeah. and as you're training and stuff, did you have times where you flipped over, or times that you were yeah. like, I can't do this, or like... <laughs> all the above. <laughs> or times when people... I mean, I'm sure like all these teenagers without their kids that are going out and partying, and you're like, okay, you have to make a decision what you really want, you know? Right. I think that those three years were so pivotal for me because I had the chance to find a way to an Olympic team, even at such a young age. I knew that my path, every decision that I made was going to affect my path towards my Olympic dream. And so I was taking it very seriously in the fact that if I went and I did those extracurriculars, we can call them going to parties or, um, you know, going on little vacations that take away from my training and things of that nature. 
that it could alter my pathway to my dream, my ultimate dream of being at the Olympics, representing the United States, wearing red, white, and blue, walking in with that big flag and the, you know, thousands of people in the stands. Like that was my dream. And so when you're, when you're at that age, it's super easy to get lost in. And at that time, social media had really started kicking Mm -hmm. in. It's easy to get lost in the social medias and um, wanting to be more like other people Mm -hmm. or, you know, you're, you're at that age where it's people, you look up to people and sometimes they do things you don't like, but you follow them because you're like, I, I respect them a lot, but I don't respect that decision, but I still want to be with them. Mm-hmm. And so I had to really funnel and dice my, my, my path because it's, it's so easy to get caught up in. And I noticed First, when I started, when I when I had a couple of the people that were older on the team that I'd seen them go through and I saw some of the mistakes they were making, I really wanted to take those mistakes and just learn from them because I didn't want to go through them. I'd seen them, you know, go to bars and come back, uh, you know, hungover at a race and they didn't perform well and they get sent home. And I'm like, that's not going to be me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want that at all in my life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was it was a very focused it was a very focused way of thinking at such a young age that now that I think about it, like I'm really glad that I, I was cognizant about what other people are doing because I think it's easy to get caught up in that and finding, finding your way at you know 15 to 18 is, is difficult, mm-hmm. but especially when you don't have your family there oh, yeah. and your, your friends are pretty much your teammates mm-hmm. and your parents aren't there mm-hmm. and the most limited supervision you could ask for, which I enjoyed, but it wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah, probably the best way to go about it. <laughs> so from this, I have two questions for you. So okay. like, what was your training schedule? But how, also, how did you find the desire to motivate yourself to stay with that schedule when you didn't have these people that were nagging you to do it? You yeah. know, like I, to be internally motivated. Well, the schedule was was pretty cut and dry. Because we were we were required to be at certain places at certain times, or we'd be fined mm-hmm. like oh, money. Really? That I didn't have. <laughs> so so like a hundred dollars or twenty. It was like twenty bucks for being late, but that's like a second late. They're like you you a put your watch you put your watch to their watch because it doesn't matter what other time it is. Dang. It's coach's time, and so we would, you know, eight a.m. was breakfast, and you know, breakfast from eight a.m. to eight thirty. At nine o'clock, you were in the gym warming up to get ready to go work out, and they would have us split into different groups too. It'd be A, B, and C groups, and those are more, I guess, those were like the A team, the B team, and the C team. So the A team really got a lot more attention than the B and the C team because they were, you know, more promising in what they mm-hmm. were doing. And so I was with the A team most of the time, and so we were we were warming up in the gym at nine o'clock, and it was a nine nine to nine twenty ish, and then. 9.30, we were in the gym hitting weights. And, you know, that consists of a lot of different things that are probably too much to get into, but yeah. it, we were hitting the weights. Mm-hmm. And it was very sports-specific in what we were doing. Um, 11, 11.30 was lunchtime. And then we had a little bit of free time from that 11.30 to about 12.30. I was like, kind of go do you. And then we'd have start practice at right about 1 o'clock. And then 1 o'clock to... 
two o'clock we were doing starts and then after that it was recovery it was like two hours of recovery go stretch go work with the athletic trainers go get what you need done because your body is what's making this happen so like go get it treated go get it worked on go get it fixed and that was my schedule and then trying to fit in school somewhere so yeah that's what i was gonna (laughs) ask like so you were you were still doing school yeah i had i had a really tricky I don't know, situation where I went to Bingham High School uh-huh. and they were not super helpful in the fact that if I missed, we have A days and B days. If I missed two A days, I ha- I would get a no grade for all those classes until I made it up. Mm. And, you know, when I'm gone for almost six months out of the year, like it was impossible. Yeah, And so... Um, the one thing that I was really grateful for is we had a principal. Um, I don't remember his first name. I only know his last name, Principal Hicks. He was the most gung-ho about people playing sports. He would go to all the sporting events. Mm-hmm. Any sporting event that Bingham had, he was there. He was there. At least as as much as he could be. Yeah. But he was so pumped on me <laughs> being a world-traveling Olympic potential athlete repping Bingham and uh-huh. he was like if you can get your GED before we graduate I will give you your diploma I'll find a way really I was like okay so I went and I got my GED like the next day so okay. I don't I don't want to deal with yeah, like, yeah. waiting for anything uh-huh. and I came up I handed him the diploma of my GED diploma and he's like, okay you can walk cool. Like, cool so he gave me that yeah and um you know, that, that actually got me into the army, but that's probably for later. <laughs> so, um, my schedule is super rigid as a, yeah. and it was always structured even from a really young age before I had even started luge, luge. Cause I was playing sports pretty much as long yeah. as I could remember. So it was go to school, come home, go to practice, come home, homework, eat, go to bed, do it again. And so I was used to having a very full day and a very rigid schedule to follow or else I just wasn't going to get it all done. Mm. And, you know, trying to fit school in there. I was doing, (laughs) I was doing a lot of school, but it was just hard to do um, school online or uh, having packets and having to do like remote tests Mm -hmm. where somebody has to watch me do it and I have to like show them the room that I don't have any cheats. Yeah. yeah. It was just too much. And those proctored tests, I I couldn't even get to some of the proctored tests because I was in Europe. Yeah. Time zones were off eight hours and it's just like, this is, this is not working. So I was really, really grateful that principal Hicks was able to hook me up with a diploma and I didn't have to worry about the proctor tests and all yeah. the other stuff that was Go super annoying. <laughs> yeah, for real. So it sounds like you had a different high school experience of maybe not as much fun in the sense of the other people with like, you yeah. know, sometimes high school, it's all about like the dances or like the That's friends, true. but you were out traveling, pursuing the school. Yeah. I, I would be there for like the first 30 to 40 days of first, uh, of the first quarter. And then I was, in Europe pretty much from October until Christmas, like the week before Christmas. And then we would leave New Year's Eve, go do it again for three months, and then I would come back in March, and then I'd be back for the fourth quarter. So I really caught like the first half of first quarter and the last half of fourth quarter, Yeah, and that was my time. I did get to play lacrosse, though. That was nice. So I played lacrosse. That was the only sport I could play Uh when I came back. It starts in the spring, and so... When I would get back in March, 
it was pretty much go time for lacrosse right in April. So <laughs> I did get a little bit. Yeah, so a little bit of that high school experience. And I wouldn't say that I I missed out on high school. Mm-hmm. I I got little bits of it. Yeah. And it was kind of fun to leave after that first quarter and see my friends kind of evolve when I've come back. Oh, yeah, that because would it's, be. Because it's six months. People yeah, grow up, especially time. in high school. They, mm-hmm. they learn different things. They're hanging out with different people. They've made their mistakes and yeah. they've learned. I'm like, that's kind of cool, actually. It was a really unique experience mm-hmm. for me to, to kind of see how people have worked their way through high school for the last six months. That is cool. Okay, so moving on with your story. So after you got your GED, is that when you went into the Army? Or? I did. Okay. Yeah, so I went into the Army because Luge isn't like the NFL or, you know, these big major league sports that make a whole boatload of money. I was pretty much getting a stipend of $500 a month. That was it. Okay. And I mean, that's not it per se, but I was getting $500. That was mm-hmm. what I had to play with, yeah. you know, for the month. And they were providing housing and food and things of that nature. So, I mean, if they wanted to give me 1500 or $2,000, it would all go to that anyways. Yeah, yeah. But so I had $500 and I, I was just sick of not having any money. Mm-hmm. And I, I really respect the armed forces and I wanted I wanted to find a way to do that as well. And my grandpa on my mom's side, um, he was in the Air Force. And he's a man that I I respect dearly. And he's like, if you can do the armed forces, even if it's just for four years, he's like, I would do it because it will change you in the way that you perceive and you know attain so many different things in your life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to find a way to do that. And I was... I guess I was 19 at this time, and we had a new head coach that had come over from bobsled. He was an ex-luge athlete from many years ago, but he went over to bobsled, and now he's back to luge, and he was in the Army while being a coach, and I was super intrigued by that because normally the Army's pretty much you're here and you're doing what Mm -hmm. I tell you, and I asked him, "How, how do you do that? And there's a program called the World Class Athlete Program that allows you to be a soldier athlete if you're at an elite level, and that also works with coaches. So if you're an Olympic-level athlete and a soldier, then you can potentially be in this program. Okay. Like you, you could still be an Olympic athlete in the, in the Army, and they might not take you. Okay. But I saw that as an avenue to, yeah. to make money, serve and do luge, mm-hmm. kind of a trifecta for me. Yeah, yeah. And so I asked him how to do it, and he told me, you got to go to basic training, got to go to AIT, which is your individual training within the Army. So I did human resources, so make sure people get paid. Yeah. Um, and it was the short one of the shortest AITs, so I didn't miss too much with luge. Mm-hmm. And from there, they pulled me into the World Class Athlete Program and pretty much said, you're active duty until the Olympic Games. I was like, that sounds good. So they tell me, you go do you, and when we need you, we'll call you, which is a weird thing in the Army. <laughs> like, it's yeah. totally the opposite of what most people think uh-huh. the Army is. And so I was in a really lucky spot where they would allow me to go do luge, participate in World Cups, World Championships, do whatever I needed for luge to promote myself. And anytime I had promotions or, I guess, interviews in the mm-hmm. sense that I would just slap on a army hat oh. you know like WCAP or I would mention WCAP any way to get the name out there for yeah because that's awesome marketing for 
Um, right. They're like, we have elite athletes that yeah. can say they're in the army. Mm-hmm. And it and it was more to shed a better light on the army. Yeah. Because, and to be you like know, there's a negative figure stigma. for like younger kids. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. like there's so many avenues within the army. But this is like an elite level that if you think you can be an Olympic athlete, this is the spot to be. Mm-hmm. Because they will they will help you so much. They'll help if you lose funding from your NGB. Like if I lost funding from USA Luge, they would pick up that tab. Really? They would send me to world championships. They would pick up some gear. And I mean, it was just like having a personal sponsor, but it was the army. Yeah. And so that was a really, really um, awesome piece of my army career that's now over. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm still in the army. I'm, I'm in the National Guard. I'm in mm-hmm. until February. But if you're not competing or coaching at that elite level, then they'll kind of just let you go. Yeah. <laughs> Push you back to your home unit. Yeah. So. You know, as you're talking, though, about being in the Army, I imagine that it was even more of a special experience later on when you were in the Olympics to mm-hmm. have that flag and to, like, represent it was, as an sure. athlete, but also as someone that, that's willing to, like, fight for the country, too. Absolutely. And that... That was super special for me, and I actually had a luge teammate. Her and I both missed the 2014 Olympic Games, and that was really hard on both of us. And then we both had joined the Army before that, and now that we both made it, we were both just so relieved that you know we finally made it. But it was just, it's cool that we were both in the same program, doing luge, doing this world-class athlete program. And I think the amount of soldier olympic athletes at the winter games is like 0.000 so just like, yeah very bonding. because it's it's just a ridiculous amount mm-hmm. to even be an olympic athlete yeah that, that percentage is so low and to also be you know on both sides where it's usa luge and u.s army so that's that's something that i'm pretty proud about yeah i like that no that i stat. think <laughs> i like think that's really ridiculous. cool so when does the 2014 olympic trials come into play was there anything before that that happened or yeah i think it's kind of all a blur it's been you know 17 years but Mm -hmm. 2014 came and we have a really weird system for picking our olympic team with luge one that's too too detailed to even get into Mm -hmm. but the way it had worked out is we were in salt lake or park city for our last race and what i needed to get was a top 15 to slot myself into my Olympic spot, which shouldn't have been very hard for me when it comes to racing on a home track, like top tens should be pretty easy Mm -hmm. just because you're more comfortable. You have a home crowd, Mm -hmm. you know, the track it's like, you don't have to, take on so much pressure it's just like it's easy your family's probably there supporting you it's easier to yeah thousands and thousands of runs it's like i could do it with my eyes closed yeah so the kid that i'm competing against is my teammate and friend and he after the first round he had crashed and i was right behind him so like he he went and i was looking at the times as i was sitting down getting ready my sled's on the ice like this is my time to shine and I was in 16th place at that point. And he crashes. And we kind of call it being iced because it's cold out. You know, yeah. you're at the top of the mountain. The wind's blowing up on you. And uh, you're in this skin-tight suit with one layer yeah. of, you know, thermals under. And you're freezing. And so I'm sitting on the ice. And I'm just like, 
looking at the time, wondering, did he crash? Did he lose his sled? Because that's an easy thing to do when you're mm-hmm. going that fast and you flip over. You lose your sled and it's just, you know, floating around throughout the track. And yeah. so it takes longer for them to get out. If you can hold on, you can just step out and the race just keeps mm-hmm. going. He lost his sled. And so it was like two minutes and it was on and off. And it's it's hard to navigate that situation because I guess putting yourself in my shoes is this is 13 years of super hard, dedicated, focused work comes down to this run. And I had mentally prepared after that first run, getting on the ice and going and doing my best. And then the person in front of you crashes and they ice you. They take their time getting out five minutes and you've got to reset yourself again, recalibrate, get back inside Warm does that up. sort of scare you too that the person in front of you just crashed? Like it does sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I know at this point that you know I've been doing it for so long that mistakes happen. Yeah, yeah. And it's not it's not anything that if they crash, I'm going to crash. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like they made a mistake. Yeah. Totally happens. Mm-hmm. You know, NFL players drop footballs all the time. Mm-hmm. It's just it. But recalibrating yourself in that high of a stake situation was really difficult. And I went out there and I tried my best, but I messed up a couple portions of the run and ended up like 18th. And that 15th spot eluded me by four thousandths of a second. So there were people like right in a row to that 15th spot. So it's 15, 16, 17 and me. Four thousand. I don't even four know thousands. what four thousandths of a second really so it's is. Point zero zero four, <laughs> And that's, you know... <laughs> Like, I don't even know how they time it to the thousand. Yeah, how do you even? And and there was a lot of thoughts that popped in my head. Um, when I saw 18, I just felt so, so mad at myself and so um, sad for letting so many people down, my friends, my family, my community, myself, my girlfriend, who's my wife now. Mm-hmm. Um the army, you know, I let down everybody on my home track on something that should have been a cakewalk. But by, it was only by, by four thousandths of a I, second. <laughs> you know, but four thousandths was four thousandths. It yeah. was either you did it or you didn't. Yeah. And I didn't do it. And that was really, really difficult for me because I thought I had it. Like I was, I was already thinking this is mine. I've got it. And I don't know what it was, if it was meant to be. You know, if this was God's plan, if this was some divine intervention of what was happening, mm-hmm. um, you know, there was a lot of issues with the 2014 games was in Russia. And mm-hmm. at that point, there was a ton of issues going on with the U.S. and Russia mm-hmm. and uh, Russia and other countries around that, you know, and I don't know what it was. Maybe it was just for me to learn who I really was at that mm-hmm. point, because I was relying on my on my talent and wasn't pushing myself as hard as I could have, I think for a year and a half or two years. Like I had seen my competition. I knew who they were. They were my teammates. I was like, I beat them in every race, you know, or every other race, but Mm -hmm. I had full faith that I was going to beat them, especially on my home track. So my teammates home tracks were Lake Placid and mine's Park City. That's where I grew up on. I've, I I have thousands of runs more than they already have on this track. And so I was super confident that I was going to beat them. And I think relying on talent alone wasn't enough. 
And I think in hindsight, if anybody was to tell you, if, if you think talent alone is going to get you where you want to go, it's just not going to happen. Um, you've got to put in the work and I was putting in the work, you know, but I was kind of going through the motions. I was like, I was going and lifting and I was going and doing starts and I was doing all the things I was supposed to be doing, but I wasn't, I don't think I being honest with myself, I was putting everything into it. Mm -hmm. And I think that hurt even worse Yeah, because these kids were younger than me. Oh, these kids. So how old were you at this time? I was 20. 23. 23, okay. Yeah, I was 23 and they were 18 and 19 years old. Okay. And is there a prime for luge like with other sports? That... I th- it's more of just time in the sport. Okay. Um because I think the more the more runs you get, the better you're going to be and things like that, but it's it's more just time in sport where you're so comfortable and the pressure is not going to get to you. You've had so many runs on every yeah. track that it's just like, it's going to come down to me executing, not am I going to make it down? Because mm-hmm. that's that's a thought when you're younger. You're like, am yeah, I going to make yeah. it down? Am I going to am I gonna crash? Uh-huh. And once you're at that elite level and you've been in so long, you're just like, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to make it down. I'm going to push the limits of the track. So yeah, it was it was really hard for me to, to lose on my home track in front of my family, my friends, my community, to kids that were younger than me that I felt weren't deserving. Mm-hmm. But... I, I found a lot um, out about myself at that point. Yeah. Because I broke down. Like, I was just so upset with myself and just felt the worst feelings that I was just, like, I was in my room, holed up for probably a solid week. Like, Megan, my wife, would, my girlfriend at the time would come over, and I don't know, I was just such a negative Nancy. <laughs> it's just, like, I don't, I don't want to be around anybody. Yeah. I just feel ashamed. Yeah. Like, I don't even want to show my face. Yeah. I'm so ashamed. and Which is hard, though, at the same time, because it's like, because it's like, you were, you're good enough to go to the Olympic trials, right. you know? But I, I can, I can tell when it's like decades of you preparing for it, like, why yeah. you would feel that shame. Yeah. Like, I would say it was legitimately a week that I didn't really come out of my room. I'd go upstairs, get food, go back downstairs. And it was hard because... I needed I needed that outside comfort. Yeah. But I also needed time mm-hmm. to really reflect and get over the emotions that I was feeling. Yeah. Because I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say. Oh yeah. You know, because like, like what I just said, enough. like like what I just said that you probably exactly. were like, shut up. Like yeah. <laughs> it oh man. I would have been so fumed if somebody t- <laughs> you know, and I got that. That's the thing, yeah. is there's my friends and my family, it's just there's nothing that you could say that would make me feel better. Yeah. Unfortunately. You know, if there was, I would have just gladly taken it. Yeah, but it was. Well, do you want to share what, or is it too personal what mom No, that's, I would love to. Okay. And so, and that ties into me being downstairs for so yeah, long. Yeah, And my friend Chris, he, you know, family friend for a long time. Our families are family, like, pretty much. You know, we have keys to their house. We know mm-hmm. their garage oh, codes. And we love them. Mm-hmm. But Chris, Chris had texted me saying, hey, man, we should go get some food. Let's go get some Beto's. I don't remember what we were going to eat. But I said, okay, I'll come out of my room. Like, I'll show my face again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was putting on my shoes. He had texted me, hey, I'm, I'm outside. And I walk upstairs, and I'm walking um, along my hallway into the living room, and my mom's walking out of her hallway from her room. And she, she gives me a look, and um, it was – it was a very tender 
loving look that made me just break down mm-hmm. because I I could see in her eyes how much she cared about me and how much love and you know all the emotions right now are still coming back but it's it's one of those things that I I never shared with anybody else that connection she just gave me that look and I broke down and I was just bawling in her arms and I don't know I probably bawled in her arms for like 30 seconds or so mm-hmm. and she um she said you're she said she's so proud of of what I was doing and who I am as a person and she didn't really speak on on luge at all it was mm-hmm. more just how how proud of you know how proud of her son she is yeah and that i i feel like it was yesterday that i that i'm still feeling these emotions but i just i broke down and i was just crying saying mom i i let you down and i'm i'm so sorry and she's like you are so much better than you realize and you're such an amazing person and don't let anything ever get you down and that that stuck with me that stuck with me so much that you know to this day we talk about it Mm -hmm. and she's just like that was one of the most tender moments I've ever had with any of my kids I was like that was the most tender moment I've ever had with any of my parents Mm -hmm. you know and it was just a it was overwhelming the love and support that I could feel from her at that moment that it almost took that whole week away mm-hmm. and that's not easy to do. <laughs> like that was a oh, really, yeah. really tough situation for me. And my mom with 30 seconds pretty much wiped it away with her love. And it was just so unconditional and mm-hmm. so authentic mm-hmm. that it wasn't faked. It wasn't forced. It mm-hmm. was just, true mom love that you just can't find anywhere else so well and what I love about that too is she was talking about you as a person and your character and I think that sometimes it's so easy to determine our worth from these outside yeah things you know like these outside things that we're we're known for or we're good at or we've worked at but when it comes down to it who we are as a person those our character and the, our values, that's what really makes us. And I think person. that's why it hit so hard for me because for that last week I had been, you know, the negative Nancy and not wanting to talk because my result wasn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And she saw right through that. <laughs> like only a mom could. Yeah. <laughs> She's just like, you need to understand how amazing of a person you are. And how proud of that person I am. Because I, I, you know, it's, we've talked about it now. She's like, I understood that the result wasn't what you wanted. But look at you now. And how much you've grown from that experience. Because there wasn't a time after that that you didn't put your full heart and soul into something. That you didn't want to feel that regret. Because I was feeling regret. I was like, I could have done something more. Four thousandths. Like, what could I have done for four thousandths of a second? You know, is that a couple times in the gym? Is that, you know, mentally preparing better, talking to a psychiatrist or whatever it is? I mean, four thousandths, I couldn't even measure. It was like a toe point 
mm-hmm. on the line. <laughs> yeah. So I felt so much regret and anger and sadness. And my mom pulled me out of that hole so fast with, with like 30 seconds. <laughs> 30 seconds. I love that because there's thir- the we bought a zoo, 30 seconds of courage. But I love this because it's like 30 seconds of unconditional love. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It was. So, it was so pure. From this experience, so you had this moment with your mom. And then it's four years or how many years was it? Four years till the next Olympics. But right. how many years until the next like qualifying time? It's It's that fourth year. Okay. So, so it's everything leading up to that four year, we call it a quad. Uh-huh. But... Your first, second, and third year yeah, doesn't mean anything. Okay. It doesn't qualify you. Well, there's a specific now that we have gone through some situations with USA Luge and we kind of worked through the paperwork uh-huh. on what well, we think that our qualifying is garbage. Yeah. <laughs> so we need to fix it. So now you can get pre-qualified if you place um, on the podium one, two, or three at world championships a year before the Olympics. Oh, okay. And there's some other things in there, but it's pretty much that fourth year. So, I mean, like, that's also why I like the story, because this is all about believing in the impossible. And so here you have this goal that it's like you can't even, like, have the final result for four more years. I'm an impatient person, so I'd be like, ah! I know, and I am too. Don't get me wrong, but but four years, it it sounds so long, but it goes so fast. Yeah. Because when you're so focused, and at that point, after... Um, you know, the, the very sad result of mm-hmm. 2014, I was so focused, like to a point where you couldn't, you couldn't get me to do something if you paid me a, like a lot of money. <laughs> I was just like, this is my goal. This is my plan. This is how I'm going to execute it. And it was just cut and dry, black and white. There's no gray. And that made me such an amazing athlete. Because it was super easy to get distracted. Uh-huh. And I was just like, no, it's a no-go, dude. It's either yes or no. And if it's not on my list, it's a no. Okay, so like when you say this is your goal, this is plan. Like were you like visualizing that moment of qualifying? Like 100%. did you have specific plans? Like what? How, how do you plan to be like to qualify as an Olympic athlete? Yeah, and there's a lot of things. That, it's personal life and athlete life. I mm-hmm. think I like to separate those two yeah. because – as an athlete, you've got very strict standards to make a team, to make, you know, your goals as an athlete. And then you have your personal life where maybe you kind of separate the two from from your end goal. But it also brings it to your end goal. So my personal life, I was like, I want to do this, this, and this. And in my athlete life, I want to do this, this, and this. And I would have them written down. Wait, was one of your personal goals to get married to your girlfriend? Yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear so it. And so it was 2014 that, that Megan and I got married. Oh, really? Yeah. So it was... It was the rough time uh, for 2014 result. And then, you know, we started working towards being married. I had actually asked her in August and we were engaged. And I was like, I don't know when we're going to get married, but I want you to know I'm ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And then that happened. I was like, well, I'm going to be home. Uh, so let's oh, so you had asked her before mm-hmm. and then. Yeah. So I guess she was my fiance. At that yeah. Time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so getting back to athlete and personal sorry it's I very it's very it's I think it's very important to have your personal goals and for me at that point athlete goals mm-hmm. and knowing how to separate the two and then also combine the two and knowing from such a young age that I wanted to be an Olympic athlete that was the end goal right like Olympics what? Mm-hmm. but I had to do certain things in my life for athlete and personal to get there 
And I would write those goals down and I'd have them on the mirror. Like I'd wake up, I would go shower, I'd brush my teeth and I'd see them. And then, you know, I'm using the restroom, whatever I'm doing, I see them. I put them in everything. I put them on my phone. I put them on my computer. I put them right on my nightstand. Like I am making my goals omnipresent. Like they're always around me. So I see them, I hear them, I think them, I feel them. And it, it really solidified my, you know, my schedule because it's so easy again to get distracted. But if I have those things with me at all times and I see them at all times, like I had it on my phone is like, you're going to be an Olympian. You just have written. Yeah, I would just have it. I have it on my phone. Well, I took it off, but it was a banner. Every time I'd open my phone, you're going to be an Olympian. And then I'd have the Olympic rings as a background, nothing else. I was like, that's my goal. That's what I'm doing. There's no other choice. And so when you said that you had stuff around your house, like, is that what you had? Like, you're going to be Olympian? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. It was like, you're going to be the best athlete you can possibly be. You're going to be the most mentally strong person that you could possibly be. You're going to be an Olympian. And like, those are personal and athlete things, yeah. right? And so it was, it was positive affirmations, uh-huh. but they were positive goals. And I've, I don't know, we've talked earlier about the way I write goals uh-huh. is I like to write them as if I've already done them because it makes me think that it's possible. Uh-huh. And so I was, I would write, you're a 2018 Olympian. Hasn't happened yet. That's in four years. But for me, thinking that and feeling that, instead of being like, you know, let's go to the the Olympics in 2018 or that's just your goal, 2018 Olympics. Yeah, no, even as like, you say that, it's such a difference of like, oh, I hope or right. like, let's go to your Olympic camp. Right. Like, yeah. You're, you're the best husband and father that you could possibly be. You're the best friend you could be, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. That's, I don't know, the way that I started writing goals was... It changed the way that I yeah. that I worked through my day. So you were a, you became a dad at this time too. Not yet, no, but not I yet. mean, like, okay, I'm just but, giving examples. Yeah, okay. but I'm just I'm just yeah. seeing how busy life was in oh, these four years. <laughs> they were busy. I mean, the yeah. army keeps you busy, and Luke yeah. keeps you busy, and so I would write those goals, and I just put them everywhere. Omnipresence was my mindset of mm-hmm. like, if I if I can see them at all times, then they're going to be present for me, and I'm going to think about it, I'm going to do them, and I'm going to take every little step to get there, and. You know, four years is a long time, but I feel like I blinked and it was like, you're at the Olympic trials. Really? Like you've got five races to do this. It's like, so what was that pressure like once you were finally there? Like, how did you, how did you manage that? Like, did you have a ton of anxiety? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. I did. And I think it's interesting because I, I was sliding, which was losing, mm-hmm. but I was sliding the best I'd ever slid in my entire life because after 2014 and that sad result, I, I found myself looking at what I didn't like about the way I was as an athlete and as a person. And I found that I wasn't having fun doing luge anymore. I was too, I was too focused on the result. And when I stopped focusing on the result, but focusing on the process, that's when things got really good. That's when I started placing really high. That's when I started having more fun. Because when you're thinking about the result, you're like, man, I need a top 15. That's all you're thinking about. Yeah, that makes sense. And so when I was like, I'm going to have fun and I'm going to do the best that I can, and I'm going to focus on the, re- the, the, the process, so I'm like, I'm going to have to do this, 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 and this. And let the result fall where it may. That really changed the way that I was doing things in life and in luge. Mm-hmm. It, it really made a big difference for me. And so that's when we talk about big pressure mm-hmm. moments. 
you're like, I've done this thousands of times. It doesn't matter if there's a crowd, if there's live television, if you're at the Olympic Games, whatever it is. Being able to separate yourself from that situation and be like, I know the process. I know what I have to do and let the result go. That, I don't know. I think that could really help a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Because I feel like it's trusting, too. Because you you can't control the outcome, but you can control the process. And so, like, trusting that of, okay, like, I'm going to do my best and we'll see what happens. But it's like going back to what your mom said, but it doesn't make you any less of a person. It doesn't diminish your character any less. Right. And I think that that 2014 result and that time for reflecting and really understanding myself that that made me such a better person and athlete together because I, I wasn't enjoying my process. I wasn't enjoying what I was doing in luge, even though I loved doing luge, I didn't like all the politics and I didn't like, sometimes I didn't even like racing. I was just like, why am I doing this? And Mm -hmm. that's what it comes back to is why. Mm -hmm. And at, at that time in 2014, there was a fellow named, Dean Graziosi. I don't know if you know him, but he's mm-hmm. kind of, I wouldn't call him an influ- influencer, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't know. He's, he's just a really down to earth, wants to help people. Mm-hmm. And he had a, a little segment on why, why are we doing things? And he said, to get to your true why, you have to ask yourself seven times. I don't know why that's the number, but you ask yourself why seven times. And I was like, well, why am I doing luge? Because I want to be an Olympian. That was my goal. Mm-hmm. But why do I want to be an Olympian? And I took myself down that route where of like, well, why did I want to be an Olympian? Because <sighs> I want to make my friends and family happy. Mm-hmm. Well, why would I want to make my friends and family happy? And then it kind of got deeper and deeper. And it came to a point where I was just like, I want to prove to myself that I can do this. It was like, that was my why. That I could prove to myself that I can do hard things. Mm-hmm. That I can see things through to the end. And I, I use that so much now it's so weird that I just kind of do it off the top of my head it's like well why would I start a business why would I be in the army and it's just it starts so general Mm -hmm. and it gets so concentrated by the time you get to that sixth or seventh one you're like I can go with that yeah like that that's a real reason it's not just I want to wear the you know red white and blue yeah oh I'm excited (laughs) I'm gonna do this in my own life yeah I I did that in 2014 and it it made such a big difference for my efforts of where am I, where am I going to put my effort to? And I guess it was just a whole thing of self-reflection after such a devastating result for me that I had to find myself. And that was you know, multiple things of what I'm doing. But going into my why really made it easy for me to make a concrete schedule and follow it. Black and white, cut and dry. No, no gray and I think it's important for people to to do that in their own lives. Find out why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't have a good why, then don't do it. Well, it seems like the why created the how for you. Exactly. Because then I it created these processes. It's so. exactly right. And, 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 you know, there's TED Talks out there about it of find your why. Because then you can go to how and what after that. Because if you go with what and then how and then why, mm-hmm. you're just, I don't know, they call it like the reverse um, target method or something like that. But it's super powerful, incredibly powerful if you can find your why to start with and then build out. 
because people, I think nowadays, and especially in my life, you can feel when somebody's being extremely genuine and super passionate about something when they're just like, boom, I feel that energy and I feel it so much that whatever you're saying, I'm listening. And then there's other people that come in and you're like, I can feel the negative energy or that something's off mm-hmm. because I feel like either you're faking it or I think fake is such an easy thing to find nowadays. It's just like, bam, I know you're fake. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. If you're going to be fake, go be fake over there. <laughs> <laughs> but finding your why, it just it creates such genuine, authentic connection with people. And if you can bring that to your life in whatever you're doing, I think it's super powerful. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, hearing you say all this, I'm like, that's cool because I feel like that's what created this purpose for you, you 100% know? 100% it did. So, okay, so where were the trial, Olympic trials in 2018? So it went through a segment of five races. Okay. And it was pretty much if you got two top 15s, you'd be in a certain tier. If you got two top 21s, it'd be a certain tier. And pretty much at the end of those five races, the people with the highest tiers would go. Okay. So was um, this in Park City again? And or? so it was in um, Lake Placid was the last race of okay. that, um, which is actually where I qualified. Uh-huh. And Calgary, Canada, uh, Eagles, Austria. Uh, there wasn't a Park City, and I'm, you know, I think there was a couple others, Winterberg and uh-huh. and Koenigsegg, something like that. But they were all over the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was pretty much go do your best and hope that you snag yourself a tier. Uh-huh. Um, so if you got like a top five and two top nines, it was like an A tier. And like two top 15s was a B tier. And it came down to a point where I was so close on so many of these tracks of getting my tier that I don't know. I don't know why, but the second round never worked out. Like I was in top 10 position. I'm like, sick. I just need to throw down a decent run and I'm in, you know, two top 15s and I'm set. And I couldn't get it. Really? I couldn't get it. It came down to Lake Placid. Wait, and what's like the time frame with all these? Every single week is a new track. Okay. So it's, you're hitting Germany, Austria, every week you're moving. Okay. So, and you only get six or seven runs before the race. So you don't get a lot of experience, experience with, with the track, which okay. is why it's it takes a long time to get really good mm-hmm. at it. And we came to Lake Placid, and my family flew out, my wife flew out, and it's my it's my home track as much as Park City is oh, because yeah, I've spent so much time out there. And it's a it's a longer run; it's fifty three seconds ish, where most tracks are kind of in like the mid forties, and. For me, I was a really, really dominant slider. Like, I made a lot of time up on the track. I wasn't as good at the start as other people. They were just stronger, faster, whatever they were. And the start is running and then... It's actually seated. Oh, seated. Yeah, it's seated. And there's two handles on the side that you pull yourself through. And then we got these, like, needle spikes on our fingers that we dig into the ice and Uh... use. We're, like, hand running, (laughs) like paddling. Interesting. We call it paddling. And so we dig our hands in and pull ourselves forward to propel. But... I don't know what it was, but when in in that 2017 race, last qualifying race for me um, to make the Olympics, it was me and me and another kid. He was actually my roommate, a really good friend of mine. Um, we both pretty much needed to have the best race of our life to qualify, or we'd have to race off against each other head to head after the World oh, Cup. Oh yeah. And I don't know what it was about it, but that day I was so calm. 
I was so sure. But I, that's also a scary thing to think back now. But I was just so sure. I was so calm. Mm-hmm. My nerves would, weren't there. I was super loose, just having a good time. Mm-hmm. And I had the best result of my singles career in that race in front of my family, my friends, my teammates. Um, I took fourth Whoa. fourth place in that race. That was the highest I'd ever gone. And then, then we have, um, in in Luge, we have something called the sprint race, which it takes away the start, which for me is awesome. So we start the time down farther. So you still pull off from the top and you still do uh-huh. your thing, but it takes away the start. And so it's pretty much if you're a really good slider, this is where it's at. And yeah. I took third place in that race. So I had the best weekend uh-huh. in, of my career on what could have been the biggest stage, you know, reverting back to 2014, that could have been so scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just my mindset was totally different. I was having mm-hmm. fun. I like I already knew the process, like the back of my hand. Yeah. Like that that track for me was just like as smooth as it, as it could have been. And so I think looking back on it all, it's it's really cool to see where I'd started at such a young age and where I am now um as a retired athlete as a dad um it's i don't know it just paints a really big vivid picture that i see all the mm-hmm. time that is it's super important to have fun in what you're doing and i wasn't doing that when i was younger i was just too focused on result 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 mm-hmm. that once that happened and i didn't make it in 2014 and i found my why and i put all the cards on the table because I just got married. I was like, all right, wife, I've got to leave. Oh, yeah, but she was so point. supportive. And, and I couldn't have done it without her. And I couldn't mm-hmm. have done it without my family and my friends, community. And I just think it's it's been an awesome ride. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah, it really has. It really has. Okay, so you, you placed fourth, right? And yeah. then you had the other one. So did you know after placing fourth that that would qualify you? Yes. Okay. Instantly so, qualified me. So it instantly qualified you. So you get off the track, you see your time. What are your thoughts? Do you even remember? I Was do. it a blur? And I've and I've watched that video multiple uh-huh. times of me going down. I actually was in third place after the first run. Mm-hmm. Um and I had an awesome run. The guy before me just had a better run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he beat me by I think it was like nine thousandths or something. Like it was really, really tight. Mm-hmm. So I came up and I had lost a spot. And I saw I saw second. So I guess to explain it is first run, it's it's a random order. And then the second run is last to first. So mm-hmm. when you're in first, you're the last down the mountain. So when you come down and you see what number of position you're in, you know that's it. And so I knew being so close to the top that if I come down and I see, you know, third, fourth, fifth, whatever, like it's pretty much okay. But I would like to see number one when I come up. Yeah, yeah. And so I came around the corner. I finished. I sit up. And I'm. we call it breaking, but I'm pretty much just putting my feet down, slowing mm-hmm. down, going 80 miles an hour. And I see the number two. And I'm just like, I don't know what took so long. And I can see my reaction on the TV as they're, like, filming me come up. Yeah. Where it was almost like a – I was shocked I took second because I had an awesome run. And then you see, like, okay, I did it. And it's just a big old fist pump and like fans are going crazy. And it's just like, I did it. Like at that point, I was like, I'm going to the Olympics. And that's... Yeah, who cares uh, if you didn't get first? You're going to the Olympics. It was a lot of emotion to take in. 
And I get up and I pick up my sled and I just stood there on the ice for a second. And I was like, all right, I did it. And I, I, my, my wife and my mom and my dad are all like trying to push through the crowd <laughs> to come say hi and congratulations. And it was a really incredible moment to share with my wife and my mom and my dad that we did it. And this goes back to my mom being such a trooper she is and what she, what she means to me. But after the race, I hopped the fence and the guardrails to get to them. And I hugged my mom and she's bawling. <laughs> I was like, we did it, mom. And she's like, that, that sentence will resonate with me forever. That we did it. Because we did. I was like, I couldn't have done it without her. I couldn't have done it without my wife or my, my father or my family. You know. Mm-hmm. But I felt that she needed to know that I recognized all of the work that she's put in. And all that sacrifice all and the, it. you know, like how you said at the beginning that your family didn't have the funds to do that. Right. And it was a sacrifice was for full them. full sacrifice and... for them and my family, mm-hmm. you know. And that one sentence sums up so much for me is that we did it. And she she feels that. And we we talk about that all the time. She always gets choked up over it. But it was such a good moment to have with her for all the struggles and all the mm-hmm. tribulations that we'd gone through is just it was so much effort finally paid off and then how long from here to the olympics so that qualifier was in december <clears throat> i think it was december 14th if i'm not mistaken oh and the olympics are they in in february, february? Okay, so that was so, soon after. Yeah, so then, pretty soon after. Are you like crunch time? Or? Well, we're still racing is the thing. Oh. And so other countries will have different ways of picking their team. Yeah. You know, and some of them wait until two and a half, three weeks before the Olympics, before they pick their team. We like having ours picked before Christmas because we're one of the first U.S. NGBs to do that. And that gives us more publicity. Mm. It's 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 a lot of things that go into yeah. it, but it also makes it so that the people we call it first half and second half before Christmas and after Christmas, but during that second half, that everybody's just comfortable. We're all going to the Olympics. Yeah, you know, there's nothing mm-hmm. to to fight over mm-hmm. or anything like that, which is super easy to do. It's super easy to get annoyed with mm-hmm. people when you're you know roommates with them for so long. Yeah, but it's like we're all going to the Olympics. We're all happy. I'm not battling it out with mm-hmm. anybody else. And yeah, so the Olympics were really quick after that, actually. It's so fast. You think two months is a long time and it just shows up. Mm-hmm. Like I'm hopping off the plane in South Korea, getting greeted by our U.S. team, you know, I guess you call them. Um, ambassador. Thank you. Ambassadors. I, just a guess. But. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's the ambassadors and they're all there and they're just funneling us onto the bus and we're going to a hotel, getting all of our Olympic gear, getting our rings, getting our Nike stuff, our Ralph Lauren stuff. Wait, and do you, is that Olympic ring? Yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. We're that, we're that guy everywhere. That's awesome. So everyone gets a ring that participates. Yeah. And it says your name. Yeah. You can make it say whatever you want. Cool. But I definitely wanted a name on there. Uh-huh. Um, and it has Team USA on it. I don't know. It's just one of those small things that you see people with rings all the time. That, or at least I do, like yeah. high school rings uh-huh. or whatever it is. And this is my little thing that I get to see every single day, the, all that hard work and dedication. But paid. that's a cool thing to pass on to your posterity too, exactly. you know? So so you're here, you're getting your gear. 
I'm sure the excitement and then opening ceremonies, you know, like it happens so fast, especially for luge because we, again, we only get six to seven runs before the Olympics Mm -hmm. and honing in all of your skills on the track, plus your sled and the equipment that you have going with it. Cause you can change so much about it, how much it steers, how much it, you know, reacts to different things in different ways. And figuring that out is super, super tough in five to six runs, mm-hmm. because you want to have at least one solid run or two runs together, knowing this is what I'm going to be competing on. But it happens super fast because we compete day one. So right after the opening ceremonies, you go to sleep and you wake up and you race. And so it's it's such a blur to get off the airplane, get all your clothes, go to Pyeongchang, which is you know roughly two hours outside of Seoul, get set up at the Olympic Village, get introduced, understand everything that's going on. It's just like a whirlwind of information, oh, and you know, super luck lucky for us is we've had people go out and scout and understand what's going to go where, and they do all this recon for mm-hmm. you know months and months and months so they have the lay of the land all you have to do is ask mm-hmm. other countries don't do that as well <laughs> but usa does a really really good job of that and so you know you get set up in uh, the olympic village and then it's go time for um, opening ceremonies and it was really cool because our my teammate good friend aaron hamlin she uh she was nominated to walk into the olympic opening ceremony with the u.s flag is this the one that you guys had the same experience no but that was her roommate okay Okay. um and so she because she was the first u.s luge women's athlete to ever medal she medaled in um sochi oh cool and so she was nominated to carry the flag at opening ceremonies and when your team is or the individual that's nominated is all on a team that team gets put up front Mm-hmm. And so the whole USA Luge team is put up front. We all walk out. We're the first ones. Like we're not lost in the crowd in the back. Like, you were the first of we the... were the first wave of US. Really? So it was so cool. That's so There's cool. just like so many pictures, and it's me and Emily and Jason and like my teammates, my friends, my family, all walking out, and it's just like all lights on us. Like it was so cool, and it was such a such a good memory. It's just like we did it. We're here. Like my family's out there, you know, as cold as they are, Yeah. <laughs> but it's just such a, a cool feeling to see and feel everything in that moment of this is what it was all for. Well, and probably to be with all these other athletes yeah. in the States that like, they've all worked their butts off to be there too. Exactly. Like that excitement, like how you're talking about that energy, you know, yeah. like that you can feel that positive energy or whatever. Like I bet that that energy in it was that amazing. room is just, yeah. It was amazing. And, you know, there were some people who were like, I don't think I'm going to go to opening ceremonies because we compete tomorrow. And I was like, you are crazy. If you don't that's, like, that's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. <laughs> yeah. I was like, dude. I mean, maybe if I had already gone once, I would still do it again, 100%. Yeah, yeah. But I wasn't going to pass up on that moment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we raced at night, so we still had some time to recover, mm-hmm. you know, because we're on our feet for a long time and yeah. whatever it is. But I just didn't want to give that moment up for anything. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So that was awesome. And then, you know, getting to competing at the Olympics. Did you go in with a goal? do the best you could. That was your goal. Yeah. I didn't have like top 10, top 15 on Uh mine. I was just like, have four awesome clean runs. 
And that's where the Olympics is different for us in luge. All of our World Cups are only two runs combined. Mm -hmm. In the Olympics, it's four. And after the third run, top 20 get their fourth run. So if you don't, if you're not in the top 20 after your third run, then you're done. I did get that goal (laughs) because my first run was really good. I really enjoyed it. It was like super smooth. I was really happy with it. And then the second run, I, there's like a really tricky section in there and I didn't do it very well. Uh (laughs) And, and that put me back a little bit. And so for that third run, my goal was to make top 20. And I was, Mm -hmm. I think I just snuck in at 19th. Mm -hmm. And then that fourth run put me into 17th or 18th. So, but I mean, so cool (laughs) that like, I think that that goes with all your whys of everything yeah. that you're like, okay, I'm here. I'm having a blast. I'm living up this moment and I'm doing the best yeah. that I can. It was amazing. And I think all the years of hard work and dedication and focusing on all my different goals and figuring out myself, they all really culminated into this one experience of like peak performance mm-hmm. in all aspects of my life. And I really enjoyed I really enjoyed the experience of competing in front of all those people at an Olympic Games where it's like, this is once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. Maybe a two or three for some people who stay in for a long time, but they're four years apart. So it's like, you really have to take advantage of this time and hopping on the ice. I hear people chanting USA and it's just, people are going crazy and there's crowds everywhere and to separate yourself from that and just focus on your process, which I had been working on doing for the last three and a half years was so crucial to my success at the Olympics for the runs that I did well. I mean, I would never blame anybody but myself for my result, but being able to like separate yourself from the stage, I would say yeah, is super hard to do, but I had been practicing it for so long at this point. It was so natural. And I had uh, on my gloves, on my wrist, we had a little like wrist Velcros. I wrote just my initials of my family on one side and then brave on my left side. I was just like, be brave, like go do bold things. And so I would like get on the handles and I just turn my hands and I'd see those two. And for whatever reason, I would just like really kickstart like my blinders. Mm-hmm. It's just like people melt away. It's just yeah. me in the track, mm-hmm. me and myself go have fun. And that was, that's something that I can take into my life now in any aspect, like going into big client meetings or speaking to individuals that, you know, are above my level, Mm -hmm. things of that nature. It's just like focus on the process and let the result be what it is. It's going to be good probably. (laughs) No, that's cool that like you can take it to life now. Okay. We've been talking for like an hour and 20 minutes now, but I have one more question I want to, well, I have two more questions that I want (laughs) to ask you. So this is going to be a little bit of a longer podcast, but I just am curious if like once you got back from the Olympics and I mean, this was the goal that you have worked for for 14 years, right? Yep. So for 14 years, you have this goal. Plus all the time as a little kid, like you just wanted to be this Olympic athlete forever. When you get home, I, I don't know. Cause like, I ran a marathon once, and when I finished, I sort of felt like, oh, my goal's over. Did you yeah. have that moment where you finished and you're like, what next? And it's sort of like this sadness? I think I <sighs> – yes and no, uh-huh. because I was so relieved 
that I was able to accomplish my goal mm-hmm. and that I can do hard things. <laughs> yeah. But also during this time, my wife was pregnant oh. with our first kid. Okay. And she let me know on New Year's that she was pregnant. New Year's right before and right then before February. The so like oh. so many things are happening. Yes. That's and a lot. We announced our on. pregnancy at the Olympics really? on live TV. That was really fun. I just I, I was so relieved that I was done with that goal of being an Olympic athlete. I cherish that moment so often. But now I have another goal and I've had this goal for a long time too was to be a dad. Mm-hmm. And so I've moved from being an Olympic athlete to helping my wife as much as I can during the pregnancy so that my other goal can come to fruition. And so I didn't feel as if um, there was a big drop off for me. Yeah. You know, I feel like if I wasn't becoming a dad, mm-hmm. there would have been a bigger drop off yeah. for sure. Because I was just so focused on that one goal that mm-hmm. I didn't have goals outside of that goal. Yeah. <laughs> so having my wife be pregnant was one of the main reasons that I had decided to retire from Luge because I wanted to be home with her and I yeah. want to be home with the baby. And I don't think I could miss that amount of time and, and put my full effort into Luge at that point. Yeah. So. And so now how many kids do you have? Do you have one? Just or? one. One? Yeah, okay. she's 13 months old now. So oh, just over a okay. year. So I guess what's your advice to, you know, oftentimes I ask people like their advice to someone struggling with a situation so that they have an impossible goal or whatever. For anybody going through anything difficult, if it's athletics or just something in life, to take a breath, realize where you are in that moment and what you can do to better it because it's really easy to get sucked down into some negative thought or into self-deprecating mm-hmm. you know like remove yourself from that situation and look at it from a third party of is this really as bad as i think are there opportunities that i'm not seeing and assess that situation with an open mind because it's easy to be one-minded on, or one-sided on, mm-hmm. on a situation that's like, I could have been so, so much worse than I was, even though I was pretty bad after 2014, I could have been, you know, blame everybody, <laughs> just blame them, blame mm-hmm. them. And yeah. I think it was more, that's that time to reflect for me that week that I took pretty much was trying to remove myself from that situation and look at it objectively and be like, did you do as much as you could have done? No. Okay. Well, that sucks. You got to bite the bullet on that, mm-hmm. you know, and could you have done something better? Could you have done this? And it was just a full week of one of the biggest moments of my life of failure. So that's probably why it took so long. Yeah. But I don't know. Removing yourself from the situation, looking at it objectively and try to find what can be fixed because sometimes it's something small that's just not being seen and it's because you're too close to it. This has been such a treat talking to you. It's like, been a lot of fun. I, um, I'm so excited to to post this episode because I just think, like you said, it's example just barely when you're like, anyone can relate to this. Like if you're going through something hard to take a breath and see what it is with the situation. And so I hope that people that are listening, you know, maybe your impossible goal isn't to be an Olympic athlete like Taylor's is, but 
Maybe it's being better at, at work or working on your social skills or starting a business or whatever. That these things that you've learned today of asking the why so that you can figure out the how so that this can all help you guys. And speaking of your business, what what did you start your business? What is it? Can people find you? Yeah, it's Pulse Digital Marketing. Um, it's digital marketing for attorneys. Oh, cool. Specifically. I chose doing that because my dad's an attorney, my, mm-hmm. my grandpa and my uncle, and I just feel they're very underserviced and getting clientele. It's like they get paid really well, but if you don't have clientele, like how do you, yeah. <laughs> how do, you do that? So I, I enjoy doing that because I'm helping individuals find really good attorneys for, you know, the cases that they're in. So I feel good because I'm serving them in a way. Yeah. So that's what I do. So if you're an attorney and you need help with your digital marketing and you want to become BFFs with the Olympic athlete, then contact Taylor. And what's the website that they can check you it's out? It's pulseelitemarketing.com. And that's P-U-L-S-E. Pulse. Yeah. And then do you have contact information that people can reach out if they have questions or they yeah. want to give comments of to course, become yeah. your friend or Instagram or whatever? Yeah. So Instagram handle is uh, tmorris91 if you want to come follow me. Always putting stuff up about my family. Because you were born in 91. And, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, if anybody wants to reach out via email, uh, it's taylor.morris at olympian.org. Okay, sweet. Well, thanks again, Taylor. This has been so great. And all you that are listening, remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe that with God, all things are possible. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for pushing play and listening to this episode. For more information about today's guests or to submit a nomination for a remarkable person that you would like to hear interviewed, head on over to NotablePeeps.com. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. If you're loving listening to other people's stories here on this podcast, then maybe it's time to start recording your own. Head on over to reminisaudio.com and take the hard work out of preserving your memories.